Our scripture this morning is from 1 Corinthians. Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts. And all the parts of the body are one body, even though they are many. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek or slave or free, and we were given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part for many. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that mean it's not part of the body? If your ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, does that mean it's not a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would happen to the hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, what would happen to the sense of smell? But as it is, God has placed each one of the parts in the body just like he wanted. And if all were one and the same body part, what would happen to the body? But as it is, there are many parts but one body. So the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Or in turn, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Instead, the parts of the body that people think are the weakest are the most necessary. The parts of the body that we think are less honorable are the ones we honor the most. The private parts of our body that aren't presentable are the ones that are given the most dignity. The parts of our body that are presentable don't need this. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the part with less honor, so that there won't be division in the body, and so the parts might have mutual concern for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part gets the glory, all the parts celebrate with it. You are the body of Christ and parts of each other. In the church, God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, the ability to help others, leadership skills, different kinds of tongues. All are apostles, are they? All are prophets, are they? All are teachers, are they? All don't perform miracles, do they? All don't have gifts of healing, do they? All don't speak in different tongues, do they? All don't interpret, do they? Use your ambition to try to get the greater gifts, if I'm going to show you an even better way. Good morning, church. Good morning. What an honor and joy it is to be here with you this morning. And uh, I love to go to travel. As a, as a kid, I had the opportunity to uh, travel down to southern Kentucky where my great-grandmother uh, taught me the love of God. And so I traveled right through from Illinois to through Lexington growing up. It's great to be back in this part of the country and sharing uh, the word of God with you. Let us pray together. Oh, Holy Spirit, your word has been shared this morning. And as we meditate on it, as we share our lives together and uh, figure out what you are calling us towards, open our eyes, open our ears that we may see and hear you afresh and anew this morning, that we may be your disciples. In the name of Jesus the Christ we pray, amen. One of the best things I get to do about this job is I get to travel and get to be in congregations like this. I love getting to meet you. I love getting to hear what God is up to in your midst. And I just love 
hearing about these eight great years you all have had in this community. So it's wonderful to be here. And a couple of uh, months ago, I had the, the um, opportunity to travel again through this area down to Berea. Um, many of you are familiar with Kent Gilbert down there, and his stepfather had passed away. And uh, they were having a memorial service, so I went down just to be with him, to be present with him as, as his pastor for that day. And when I was going down there, their associate pastor, Rachel, said, would you have dinner with me? And I said, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, she says, okay, meet me at Noodles Nirvana. Anybody ever been to Noodles Nirvana? A couple people, right? Okay, good. Nobody knows Noodles Nirvana anywhere else in the conference, so this is good. And um, I walk in. I'm the, I, I get there before she gets there, and I walk in, and you immediately know, those of you who've been, you immediately know this is a different kind of business. It's not your typical restaurant. So you walk in, and, it, and it's very um, it's very quaint. It's small, kind of kind of dining roomish, like with wood floors, and um, there there are no servers. You just go up, and there's any kind of noodle you would want, thin, long, wide, uh, any kind of uh, protein and vegetable you'd like. And the people that own it are the people that are there at the cash registers welcoming you in. They're just it's just warm environment, right? Um, that to me is wonderful, but it's not the best part of that experience. When you walk in the door. <coughs> You can't help but notice something that's incredibly different. On the wall, immediately when you walk in the front door, is a white wall. And that white wall has at the very top one sentence in big, bold, black letters, and then below it, a paragraph written below it. That top sentence says this, We belong to each other. We belong to each other. Now, as a Christian, I immediately knew that reference because it is a reference to the great Mother Teresa who said, if we do not have peace in this world, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. And I immediately made the reference, okay, so this particular restaurant has an ethic. They have a very different understanding of the world. That when you walk in this business, they believe that we all belong to each other. So I go up and I, I pay for my food, and they ask if you'd like to give a tip today. Now, there are no servers. And they explain to you that 100% of your tip would go to pay for the ministry or the charity or global charity that they're supporting for that particular year. And on the wall, underneath that, that big title, We Belong to Each Other, is a description of that ministry or global charity that they support. In the year of 2016, it is my understanding from Rachel, they gave over 50000 not fifteen, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 away in tips of their own money. Now, I have two kids, so I'm, I'm trying to do the math there for a minute, right? I'm not a mathematician, but I can, I can, I can pretty much guarantee that by the time my kids are ready for college, $50,000 a year of my own money goes a long way. Maybe not all the way, but these days, but goes a long way to helping pay for my kids' college. And they're giving it away. Why? Because they belong, they believe we belong to each other. That the world needs that kind of giving, that kind of light, that kind of love. So it's a different kind of business. And I can't help but think when I walked out of that business that day, Walked out of that restaurant, not only was, did I feel very full and um, was very rich in good food, I immediately thought, you know, if St. Paul were to walk into that restaurant in Noodles Nirvana in Berea, Kentucky, 
I think he would probably say, thank God somebody finally got the message. <laughs> because Paul had been trying to teach the church for a very long time that very message. That we're not separate from each other, but we belong to each other because God has created us that way. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul very specifically designs an image for the church to understand that connection, that love, that idea that we do in fact belong to each other. Why did he have to do that? Well, the church is not always uh, the place that we find that kind of deepness of love, and I find that pretty sad and unfortunate. And in the olden days, in Paul's day, that they had a struggle because you had Jews on the one hand and Gentiles on the other, and they didn't really mix all that much. There was a difficult, very, very harsh relationship in the early years. But in this church in Corinth, it's a port city, a city, a metropolitan city of all different kinds of people and religions and backgrounds. And somehow Paul, who plants all these churches, is able to plant a church where Jews and Gentiles and all these different backgrounds are able to sit and worship together in the same place. Except when he left, um, you know, he's not like, like your pastors who are here for a time. He, he plants and leaves, right? Except he had to leave. And when he left, the, there became a fracturing of the leadership. And there became a group of people over here who said... You know, uh, our gifts, and I don't know exactly what gifts they were, speaking in tongues, prophecy, whatever the gifts are. We heard some of them up here on the screen today. Um, those gifts are of more significance than these gifts over here. You might be able to teach and preach, and that's all fine and good and well, but we're over here, and we've got the better gifts. We're much better over here. And it got to the point where they were so fractured from each other that uh, they began to do something really horrible, which is exclude people from this meal. Mm -hmm. Which, as Christ reminded us, so often as you gather, remember me, and that all people, all, A-L-L, -L, all, are welcome at this table. They began to say, because you do not have this gift, you are not welcome at that table. Can you imagine, Pam, can you imagine, Marsha, Kenny, <coughs> you come up and and, and they say to you, I'm sorry, uh, can you step over here, Paul? You, you, don't, you don't speak in tongues today. Um, yes, Nancy, great. You do speak in tongues, great. Here you go. Can you imagine that? Not feeling welcome. You just sang this amazing song at the beginning of your worship about that kind of welcome you believe in. Imagine, imagine being told no at this table. <coughs> that was what was happening. So Paul writes to them. He writes from a card. Now, there's no email. There are no text messages. There's no phone calls. This is days, if not months, of letters. We have the fortune of opening that mail 2,000 years later to see what he wrote to this church. And the beauty of this letter is he writes and says that we, as God's people, are like the human body. Now, those of you that are in the, um, the health field and the... Um, uh, any kind of medical field, know this, right? That all the parts of the body are all so interconnected that when one piece of that body begins to break down, it affects almost every other single part of the body, right? Um, it, it's a ba basic science, right? Back 2,000 years, Paul didn't have that kind of science, but he knew it. He knew that the human body had hands and feet and eyes and ears, and that every single one of those pieces matter. Every one of them. 
And that one of them can't say to the other, the hand can't say to the foot, I'm sorry, I don't have any need of you. Right? Uh, the eye can't say to the ear, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't really need you. Why? Because where would the hearing be? You might be able to see, but how would you be able to hear? He's essentially saying, we need each other in order to survive. God created us as human beings in the very image of God to be interconnected to each other. We are just that threaded and connected. And our problem has been, the problem in Corinth was, we were living as if that were not the case. And all Paul does is write to them and say, if you want to be a follower of Christ, if you want to live a life of love, it's going to have to look like the human body. Interdependent upon each other, loving each other, valuing one another's gifts and what one another brings to the table. The power of that is that there is a greater love that then can be shared with the world who does not even know that that kind of world can exist. That's what it means to be the church, the body of Christ. He says, you will now are the body of Christ. And what, what, what happens to one of us happens to all of us. That was just your prayer time just now, friends. You know, what happens to one of you happens to everyone in this room. And that's a powerful testimony to the love of God in your midst. And Paul was trying to say, when one of us suffers, all of us suffer. And when one of us is rejoicing, we all rejoice. Why? Because we belong to each other. Because God created us that way. So, if you walk into this restaurant, and you see we belong to each other, you know immediately this is a different kind of love, a different kind of belief system, a different kind of thing that we see from the world in which we live in, where there are people who exclude one another from their gender or sexual orientation or their race or their class, right? There's a different kind of thing, a more excellent way. And so when he says there's a more excellent way, what he's referring to is the ethic of love. He goes on into to chapter 13 then, and love is what? Patient and kind and doesn't seek its own way, right? All of those things that we're familiar with. If you've ever been to a wedding, you know <laughs> what that scripture says and over and over. But you can't understand chapter 13. It's not about romance. I mean, you, I guess you could say it is, but it's not really about romance. It's about how we treat each other. And chapter 12 is how we get there. They were beginning to exclude one another, dividing from one another, not allowing one another's gifts to be valued in the middle. And instead, Paul says, strive after the greatest gifts. Faith, hope, and love abide. The greatest of these is love. I will show you a still more excellent way. That is what it means to be in the church. Because we belong to each other. Here we are on this uh, second Sunday, really, after, after Christmas, on Epiphany Day. I, and I think we're, we're not reading the scriptures of Epiphany with the wise men and all that. But I, it, it makes me think, though, that on this Epiphany Day, that it is a wonderful thing that we celebrate Epiphany as a day of light in the midst of darkness. This idea that we are a people who live a different kind of world. A love that is unconditional. The love of God. We share that with one another. And that light, when so much of our world would rather have power over others rather than with one another, that there's a different kind of way. There's a different kind of way. The wise men chose to choose the way of light. 
and love rather than darkness. We live in this kind of world where we really need people of light who are willing to continue in that path, that excellent way of love. In my very first week on the job, two, almost two years ago, I got an email from somebody in this congregation. We were about ready to go to General Synod, and uh, she says, um, I just want to be sure that you have all the information you need on the whole uh, Palestinian children, Israeli children question. Um, and your congregation was one of, I think it was 12 or 13, uh, either congregations or conferences that had signed on to a resolution helping Palestinian, Palestinian children in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And you, your congregation was uh, involved in two resolutions, both of which passed overwhelmingly. That is the excellent way, the way of light, of love, of standing up to say, we value the lives of Palestinian children. We value the lives of those that are LGBT. We value those who are at the border. In a couple weeks, I'm about to go to Arizona to the border. Those lives matter. Yeah. Yes. And you, thank you for your voice. Because we live in a world where that voice in the other direction is so loud. Thank you for saying yes to the way, the excellent way of love. In this vision that Paul has for us, that we are the body of Christ, you are only one congregation among thousands. But as Paul says, your may be the hand, and this group over here may be the foot, and together we are the body of Christ. Thank you for eight years of saying yes to God, of saying yes to one another, saying yes to Paul's vision of the excellent way of love. There is no other way but to demonstrate the love of God to one another. I want to close with this. Um, you may have heard this story before, but I'm, I, I share it a little bit, in a little bit different way. So if you've heard it before, just kind of bear with me a little bit. But it's one of my favorite because I think it really encapsulates everything that Paul was saying and what it felt like to walk in and out of that restaurant last year. There's a story of an old monastery, and in this monastery uh, are a group of monks. They were pretty famous monks because uh, people from all over the world would come to this, this particular monastery to pray, to worship, to learn about the love of God, what it meant to be the people of God. Uh, they would retreat there. People come all from all over. No one really knows exactly what happened, but over years of time and years of time and years of time, it got to the point where there wasn't many people coming to pray anymore. There wasn't many people coming, period. And there were only 11 monks and an abbot. Abbot spelled with one T. It's better with two. Um, so the abbot finally got to a point where he decided, you know, this is, I don't know what to do. I don't know if God's telling us we need to close the door. I don't know if well, we need to be doing something different. We're not doing everything right. And so he said, we got we to gotta get together and have a meeting. Church, it would not be church. We didn't have a meeting. <laughs> so they called a meeting. And there they are, the 11 brothers and the abbot, and they're having this conversation. What do we do? And nobody knows what to do. And finally, one of them said, hey, would you please go out to the forest, that cabin in the woods, and see if the wise old rabbi would be willing to give his input and see if he has any ideas. Sure. He goes out walking out of the woods, and he gets to the, to the door. He's good friends with this rabbi. He knocks on the door. 
He says, Father, come on in, let's have some tea together. And they're sitting, having tea, and, and the abbot begins to pour out his heart. And he says, oh, Rabbi, I don't know what, we don't know what to do. There's only 12 of us. And it feels to us like maybe we just need to ride this out and close the doors when all of us are dead. We don't know. Maybe God's calling us to something else. We don't know. Do you have any wisdom? And like any good rabbi, pastor, priest, uh, the rabbi did a lot of, mm-hmm, yeah. A lot of head nodding, a lot of, yeah, I hear. Little speaking, a lot of listening. Good pastor. At the end of that time, he said, do you have any wisdom for us? The rabbi said only one sentence. He says, my friend, the Messiah is among you. That's it. That's all you got. The Messiah is among you. What does that even mean? I don't know what that means. Oh, God. And of course, he's panicking. He's sweating because he knows when he leaves, he's got a face to the brothers, right? And he does. He says, well, thank you, Rabbi, and, and uh, we'll take that into advisement or whatever. And he's walking back, and he's in a panic because he knows immediately walks in the door. There, sure enough, there they are. They're standing right at the door waiting to see exactly what happened. And, and he gets in. What did he say? Well, he only said one thing. He said, the Messiah is among us. And all the brothers are as dumbfounded as him. What? That's it? We send you into the, into the woods to get that? He's like, I know, that's all that he said. So they, they go in their different ways, and they're, they're walking in the woods, and, and they're going back to, to uh, reading and you know, washing dishes or praying or whatever it is they do. And they're all on their own, and they begin to, uh, at separately and individually, ask the very important question. Okay, so, it's almost like a biblical literalist, right? Okay, so, if, if he, the Messiah really is among us, I wonder who he could be. And they, they, they began to say, well, if, if, if it's that person or that person, oh gosh, I don't know. Who could it be? Well, it could be Brother Paul over here. He's very wise. Very compassionate. Um, he knows the Bible. It could be Brother Tim over here. Uh, gosh, he, he's really gentle and calm and peaceful, a loving person. We know it's not Brother John because he's old and cranky and mean. <laughs> no, it's not that. It could be one of those two. No, we don't know. And they finally got to the point where everyone decided, just made the decision. Okay, so if we don't know who it is, then perhaps the answer is we need to start treating every single person as though they were the Messiah. Because who wants to offend the Messiah? Began to treat one another with grace, with compassion, with kindness, with empathy. And when they would probably be short with someone or, or angry with somebody or not listen or judge someone, there was more compassion than there was. They lived together for years, but all of a sudden there was this newfound love and care. And at the foundation of that very thing was the belief that every human being, every person that their eyes and ears would ever come across and see or hear, was a reflection of the very image of God. Now friends, people started coming back to pray, back to worship, because they began to see and hear a new kind of way. Paul would call it the excellent way. At the very foundation of Paul's assumption in 1 Corinthians 12 is the belief that you, everyone in this room, is a beloved child of God. 
everyone. And when you walk out the door, when I walk out the door, whether someone calls you a slur, a name, someone's mean to you, you have a disagreement, or they're the greatest things in sliced bread, every person is a beloved child of God because they are a reflection of the very image of God. And the answer to everything from government shutdowns to discrimination to all the problems that we face, every single answer to that comes back to that our call as God's people is to love, to demonstrate compassion above all things, to stand for justice and peace, and to be about the work of the Spirit that binds us together as God's human family. And because I know who you are for eight years, and God, I hope for 800 more, may you continue to be that body of Christ who says to every person we come across, we belong to each other.